0: Hi, my name's Al Ewing. Uh, I'm the writer of Immortal Hulk and Guardians of the Galaxy, and you're listening to Spoiler Country.
1: Hey, hey, people of Earth. It's time to enter the Spoilerverse via our secret
0: portal, Of the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts John and Henrik and Jeff. Welcome! to spoiler Country. Hey,
2: if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on spoilerverse.com. But if you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcaster. Find
3: Spoiler Country and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us or use the voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com.
2: Citizens of the Republic of Spoiler welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Ken that, that is Mr. Horsley. And today on the show, well, it's Al Ewing, isn't
3: it? It is, it is. And uh, Jeff Haas, the big git, got to sit down and chat with Mr. Ewing about a lot of stuff he's doing for Marvel, because, you know, he's written Immortal Hulk and Guardians of the Galaxy, and he's working on a bunch of the big X-Men tie-ins right now, nice. and X of Swords is the new series he's working on, and, I mean, there's just a lot he's doing. And he's, uh, Jeff. you know, Jeff sat down and chat with him about all of that and so much more. Jeff must have geeked out hard. Jeff geeks out hard on every almost every interview. It's kind of <laughs> cool. <laughs> I know. It's like,
2: I'm talking to somebody. It's just all this and that, that and this, trying to get more. And he's just like, zeroes in on, this character said this at this time. Were you talking about this? Or were you?
3: <laughs> I know his, his question is so in depth about the story. Yeah. I'm more like, tell me, about, tell me about your process. Don't tell me about the story. I want to know about the right. process.
2: <laughs> it's a good, it's a good, uh. So it's a good balance. Yeah, us. it's a good balance. Exactly. Exactly. It's a lot of fun. Well, instead of listening to us pontificate, why don't we hear Al Ewing in his own words?
1: Hello, listeners of Spoiler Country. Today, we have a very special guest. The author of Mortal Hulk and Guardians the Galaxy, Mr. Al Ewing. How's it going, Mr. Ewing? I'm doing good, thank you. How are things with you? Things are going okay. Um, how are things in the UK with what's going on in the world right now?
0: Well, that's a whole topic. We're <laughs> not dealing with it super well, I don't think. We've got a kind of... I think the government were quite slow getting started, so we've got quite yeah, a very high rate of... We've got a very high rate of deaths compared to the rest of Europe, so... Obviously, that's not ideal. And then we've got Brexit coming up as well, which, you know, you'd think they might factor in. The fact that we're in a global pandemic, but no. So, yeah, you know, it's another. it's been another wonderful year with the Tory government. I, <laughs> I mean, um, obviously,
1: from this side of the ocean, unfortunately, I guess we don't follow what's going on in the UK quite close enough. I was under, I was under the impression... Yeah, that's true. I was on the impression that Brexit was almost fixed, I mean, solved, or not, however... I mean, the, what's kind of
0: been solved is like, we're past the point of no possible return on it. Oh, um, nice. It's not nice. <laughs> like, <laughs> but the oh, thing so is, okay. I think, to be honest, that was sort of true from the... There was this thing where I think in many ways that was true from the from the vote, and we kind of had an opportunity to get a very... Clean, I guess a sort of cleaner and more simple one, but like or no, not clean and simple, that's not the right word. A more intelligent one? one. Yeah. Yeah. Well one that one that would involve basically not sort of crashing out of Europe without any sort of deal at all. Which is I think what the people currently in power want because they'll make a lot of money out of it. Mm. Which is pretty much the abiding you know, the abiding reason why the right wing in British politics do anything is for money and power
1: i found most interesting about brexit when it first was happening i mean when i first learned of it was that after the vote for brexit the most common search was what is brexit in england and I was, yeah. and
0: it sounds so american in the no the we, i mean that i think was when i think british there's a strain of british exceptionalism where and we're seeing it a lot now where basically you know there are People my age walking around acting like they personally won the Second World War. (laughs) There are like, you know, there are people who are basically, I mean, maybe not my age, maybe like five or ten years older. But like, you know, I'm I'm sort of early Gen X, I think. Mm. But uh, yeah, basically, we have this strain of, I think the American strain of exceptionalism is quite examined. I think the British strain of exceptionalism is very unexamined. It's like we don't like to think about how crap we are unless (laughs) it's in a kind of, in a very jokey way. It's Mm. like the the British self-depreciation is a way of avoiding our faults and our flaws. And I mean, I say British, I'm really talking about the English. I mean, certainly Scotland is very annoyed with us. Wales is starting to realise that, you know, we're going to leave them high and dry Ireland, obviously, well, Ireland is very comfortably in the EU, but they do share a border with Northern Ireland who are, I don't know, going to have some problems. This could end up breaking up the union. I don't think that's off the table. So, yeah, you know, that's a whole thing. And
1: I um, I mean, that would be seismic if that happened.
0: It would be, but it's... The thing is, Scotland had a referendum of their own, some years ago to, on whether they should leave Britain or stick around. And basically they ended up voting to stick around. And one of the, one of the big reasons that was given that they should do that is to get, I think the benefits of being in the EU. I I think that's right. I mean, it's, um, I've probably got this completely wrong, but certainly it's certainly the case that being dragged out of the EU as part of the union that is Britain, it's not going down well. It's got it's not going down well with any of the member nations except England. Mm. So, but yeah, there was that referendum. I remember thinking at the time that, like, you know, obviously I didn't have a vote in it. I wasn't living in Scotland, but like, I remember thinking at the time that nobody could really blame them for wanting to get away, and it would leave us. know the rest of the country in a very deep hole Mm. because we would without the scottish left we would be very much stuck with the english right who have a serious amount of control over the media by which i mean if you've seen if you've seen british newspapers particularly english newspapers if you've seen british tv i know My American friends got to experience that when they came over for the Thought Bubble convention in Leeds. And they were horrified, as well they might be, because it is terrible. And a lot of it is this sort of, this weird kind of propaganda thing. It's like it's all, it's all property porn and like uh, this weird sort of, these weird cop shows from like uh, various different branches. Mm. As in, you know following the police around on their duties. Oh
1: like cops here yeah, probably.
0: Yeah, yeah. This
1: like cops, We've got
0: we've got about like, I wanna say somewhere in the region of twenty different versions of cops. Holy shit. And one of them is playing on British TV at all times. Damn. I don't think I don't think that's a huge exaggeration. I think anyone I think if you if I were to turn on the TV and like go through the Freeview channels, you know, I could find cops. Or like our version perhaps, or like Border Patrol, or like, oh, there's a great, there's a show called Can't Pay, question mark, we'll take it away. And that's pulling (laughs) bailiffs around. No, So it's got like sympathetic bailiffs. There's a new one just coming out, like that's making the job center, you know, really, look really kind and sympathetic. And this is like the department of, you know, this is the, I mean, the job center, the man, I don't even get me started on on that, that end of things.
1: I mean, did after Brexit um, and the vote did occur, I think back to what was going on in our country with obviously Trump and going with that. And the idea of the outcome was a large part due to low information voters who were not paying attention. And it seems like Brexit was the same thing. Is there any.
0: There's a personality politics involved, certainly.
1: Is there any indication that the English people learned from that or maybe became more involved? They haven't learned it here.
0: I think the I think what happened is that there was an expectation on the left, and not even I'm not even talking about like the dull left. I'm talking about the sort of centre left. Yeah. But there was an expectation that, and you know, it's a nice narrative. It's one that I certainly, you know, there were certainly days when I allowed myself to be kind of, you know, seduced by it. This narrative that like. All you have to do is like give people the facts, give people like the right argument and like you can debate your way out of it. And, you know, we can just reverse it. And I saw in the aftermath of the Trump election, you know, all those tweet threads, you know, it's time for some game theory. If we just like look at the voting machines, if we just do this, we just do that. We can make it unhappen. We can make it go away. Yeah. We can make this not us. And it's like, I think basically the Tory landslide of 2019 and this was after, you know, I wasn't expecting it because this was after 2017, where they called an election and lost seats. But, you know, they were playing a very different game this time. And the game, I guess, the, the left, you know, that's I mean, I don't want to uh, relitigate the 20 yeah. election again, but it was a landslide. And it basically put the nail in the coffin of any dreams of, you know the great british public not wanting brexit yeah and like yeah they want it and they don't really care how it happens and we are heading towards some extremely chaotic times Um, i think the last thing i think the last thing i heard on the news was that they're planning for like water shortages Mm. it's you know it's it's gonna happen the bad version's gonna happen The people who wanted to make a lot of money out of it are going to make an awful lot of money out of it. Maybe Steve Bannon won't because, you know, know, the prison. But, you know, the people on the British end, we have a long history of protecting people who should be in prison from going to prison if they're the right kind of people.
1: Oh, that's definitely the same here as well. I I, I do find that the left, which is I do um, put myself in that category as being a, a leftist. We always have this fantasy that things will be played fairly. And nah. and I think we keep getting shocked by the fact that it's not every single time. We're, we're like Charlie Brown. Every time we think this time we'll play the game fair, we'll argue with good points, we'll make the best argument, and we'll win, we keep forgetting that no, that's not the game that we're actually playing here.
0: We're suckers for the. And, and you know, I say we, I mean me. But it's <laughs> like there's a certain sector of the left, and I'm in. I'm increasingly disillusioned. But, like, certainly I've been part of it, where, like, we're suckers for, like, a decorum narrative. Mm-hmm. This idea that if we're nice, people will see. And it's like, you don't want to become... At the same time, there, are, there seem to be sectors of... I think this is certainly true in Britain, but there's, there's this idea that if we become enough, like... The people who are winning then we will win and that's and we'll worry about what we have won and what we do with victory after that point point. Mm. and it's like so with with new labor you know that ended up it was like the first big labor victory after after a decade of Thatcherism, and like and more and you know john major after her and and you know it wasn't I think it was it was 1997 that happened, and that was like, so like a vast, and we're probably in the middle of a similar swathe of, of Tory time now, and you know, look what's happened. But like, yeah, it was like, oh, we've won, things, things are going to get better. But like, it was a very different kind of party that won. And like, part of me is a little worried about I don't know, there's you hear a lot about electoralism and like mm. what is electable. Yeah. And the definition of that seems to change. We seem to give away so much in terms of in the quest to become electable. And it's like I don't know, there's in the back of my mind there's always that thing of like okay, who are you gonna who you going to stab in the back in order to like put your person in. Yeah. And it's tough because it's like we were, you know, I, I can't really imagine a future. I can't really imagine what the future will be at the end of the current Tory and I'm leaving other countries out of it, mm. but I can't imagine what the future will be at the end of the current Tory period of power because We have elections like roughly every five years, and we just had one. You know, we're not we're not going to be in a position for a while where we can think about electability or like what getting elected would mean or what it would take or what it would need. The Conservatives are going to have a lot of time to push that window, so it's scary.
1: Is there a cure for this, in your opinion? That, or let's say a a way to solve it in in, in a way that will be equitable for
0: just people, the society. I don't know the best. I, I don't really have. If I was, you know, if I had these answers, I'd quit my job and become a politician. (laughs) No, I, the only thing that occurs is maybe, I don't know if this is another narrative that has swayed me. Yeah. But there's a phrase from situationism that keeps occurring to me, which is be reasonable, demand the impossible. And I feel like there are things we have been told that we cannot ask for. And every time there's a new election cycle, more and more is added to that list. Like, you know, we can't, it's ridiculous to even think about asking for say, Working universal basic income, certainly in Britain, where we have a culture, we developed a culture since the, certainly of the past, since the welfare state of the, of times past, we've, we've developed this culture where like, if you're taking anything from the state at all, you're some sort of evil scrounger and you need to be kind of, you know, you're, it's the whole, you know, you're stealing from the government if you get any benefits from it at all. Mm. And like right right now, I feel like the NHS is the last holdout against that kind of mentality. Mm. But even uh, that, it's like you're constantly getting things about how obese people are like uh, a drain on the NHS, and you know how dare you? And now, especially, like how dare you have an illness? How dare you be a drain on our wonderful NHS?
1: Now, as someone who is is a creator and an artist. Do you find that, you're, that you can have a voice in or input your politics and voice into your work as a way to influence, or do you find I mean, I, that?
0: I don't believe it's possible not to. I don't believe you can create something and not have your world you shape it in some way. And that's especially true in the genre I work in, which is this genre full of these big, giant metaphors and, like, these kind of tales of... These tales of heroism, these tales of sort of... That are kind of... Not to get all, you know, super of stories are like the modern myths kind of thing because, yeah, you know, we had that conversation in the 70s and it was a little dodgy then. But, like, there is that metaf- heavy metaphorical element. And it's basically... I don't think you can work in that genre. I don't believe you can sort of have those conversations without without bringing your personal worldview, which includes your politics, into it. I think even making the conscious decision that I will make this thing less political than this thing, and that's a decision I've made. But that in itself, you know, choosing not to talk about things is itself a political decision. You can't get away from it. So, like, the idea of... And I think people are finding this. I think um, more and more writers in comics are starting to find that they can't kind of escape from themselves. They can't get away from themselves. And I'd almost go as far to think... And I've said this in response to people asking, you know, why am I political in my work? And even in in terms of, like, political in my work, I'm very far from being as political as a lot of people in this business, you know, I have a certain level, and I've I've reached it. And sometimes I go further in, and sometimes I don't. But like, um, whatever I'm doing, I give like a hundred percent of myself to the work. Yeah, you know, even if I'm like, even if that's damage control, I'm, I'm like giving a hundred percent of myself to it. And I think as soon as you say, "Oh, I don't want to bring myself to the work," you know, that's making a decision. And it's a decision that's going to affect what you do. And I suspect affect it for the worse. So, yeah, I guess, I guess that's kind of, and I've never really, I don't feel like I've had people tell me I can't, I don't feel like I've had people tell me I can't do stuff. I feel like I've managed to sort of, (sighs) Just like do stuff, it's been fine for the most part.
1: Because uh, it does seem like one of the big controversies that's been in comics for a while, obviously due to things like comic skate, is the idea that whether or not comics are political or not political. And I'm thinking to myself, from the history of comics, every comics are like every art; they are inherently political. You can't separate art from someone's political views. They're hand in hand because what is someone's art is that person, and that person is someone who has views.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, and I'm not, you know, I'm pretty sure everyone could like. I'm I'm pretty sure people could like look at what I was saying in like you know the first twenty minutes of this, and like pick it apart and like you know debate me and all of this stuff. And it's, but this is, I don't know. It's always been the case that people have brought what they thought to the work. Like I kind of consider what I do for Marvel. For the most part, and it was very. At first, I kind of brought a lot of my my two thousand ID influences to it in terms of like the form and the kind of and the density of it. But I am pretty influenced by like the seventies, which were a very they were quite an, an outspoken time. The writers working Marvel in the seventies were you know you had people like Steve Gerber and Steve Engelhart, and yep. they were very much treating superheroes as metaphorical entities and basically telling stories about the world as they saw it through the lens of these characters. And, uh, you know, you got the impression that like, even in the seventies, there were people who were very interested in, you know, continuity and what happens when you smash this piece of the puzzle against this piece. And that'd be interesting. Uh, but you've also got this deep sense of like, okay, what's going out? What's going on in the world is giving me these feelings. I'm going to write like Captain America, like throwing down his costume. I'm going to write like the president of the United States shooting himself in the Oval Office because, you know, his schemes have come apart. Yeah. That's incredible at the time. You know, you had in the 80s, you had Reagan turning into a giant snake. <laughs> I remember the, the cover of that the biggest snake of all. And it's like Reagan in silhouette with like Captain America looking at him in horror. And it's like, <laughs> Oh, well, comics went political in the eighties. And that's like, <laughs> you know,
1: well, speaking of Steve England there's an issue of the lantern core where he has on the cover, Kilowog holding the, oh, the, uh, the, the communist flag.
0: The Russia issues. That was great. That was like, I remember like reading that and going like, yeah, you know, this is like, this is a, a fun story because I was very used to from American comics, like, you know, a very different, the sort of older way of looking at stuff because, you know, it doesn't kind of paint, like, it doesn't paint communism in, a, in an amazing light, but it does ask these questions of, like, well, okay, can we, can we say something about this system that, like, explores questions about it from an alien point of view? It's like... Uh, and like you know, I remember there was that whole. It was in the '90s. People talk about comics in the '90s. It was in the '90s when like Wally West met Fidel Castro,
1: yeah,
0: and had a conversation with him. You know, it was in the '90s when like that whole William Mestonized period of the Flash. You know, that was the '90s too. You know, the Pied Piper coming out, like all of this stuff. You know, that was my '90s. Don't know what, don't know what '90s you were having, but that was mine.
1: Yeah, I mean, I once again, I was in the 90s, I was reading The Green Lantern, Batman, things of that nature, and I do always think that I like it when comic books have big ideas, and if they do go into something that is political, I think there's something that can be learned. If nothing yeah. else, you learn a perspective of that possible, whether or not you agree with it or not, you get a deeper sense of that perspective, yeah. which is what matters.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that seems like a really kind of... Uh... And it's not like... You know, it's not like comics are short of, like, other points of view. They never have been. There's like, uh, there's a whole, there's a whole spectrum of people on, who are writing right now. And I think it's just, like, the kind of, we don't want to, I, I don't think giving space to kind of, these people who are just, like, you know, going around whipping up mobs on Twitter
1: yeah, yeah, and I yeah, I, I agree with you. And right now, like
0: I'm yeah, I, I love those people.
1: Yeah, at this time period, you're especially in Marvel, one of the big names in comic books right now. You're writing the biggest some of the biggest stories. You're bi- you're also one of the most again, the most accolades for like Mortal Hawk. Do you yeah. find that it's your position to because in your being as big as you are right now, you do yeah. kind of set the pace for what is in modern comic books right now, you feel a responsibility.
0: I am getting used to that concept. On the social media, I'm really only on the one. I've sort of, the Tumblr has been laying dead for like months now. I've yet to post a single Hulk panel. And I will get back to that, I will. But it's just the idea of kind of sitting down and going through old Hulk issues and like snipping out panels to post just seems really kind of... I don't know, I can't get in that headspace right now. Yeah, but like, so the tumble is kind of, you know, laying fallow. So I'm really just on on the Twitter, and I kind of, I try to like retweet a lot of people. I don't, you know, I, I very occasionally say something in my own voice, and it's like mostly just like a, a station identification. But it's like I feel like I've got, you know, the about it's about 13 thousand followers at this point, I think. Um, probably more and it's like i just feel like that's a big billboard and i should put up you know donation pages and like you know mostly i'll just retweet i'll retweet a lot of stuff about the tories but like but like i try and you know retweet stuff retweet other people and i don't know mostly i just twitter generally it's like how much money do i want to go into jack's pocket you know, there's yeah. that as well. But in terms of the work, the text, which is like, I kind of see as like, that is my job. That is somewhere I can like reach a lot of people. It's like, again, I don't, I feel like I've got a, a duty not to shortchange people and not to sort of give them less than my whole self. Yeah. But there was definitely a thing where like, we outsold batman and that was a thing and you know yeah it was a bad week for batman it was a good week for us whatever but we outsold batman and that was a big thing and that kind of it was like what do we do with that and we you know we were already going to do the big issue 25 so that was already happening and that was based off like okay well we've got you know we've let's pitch this and it landed and everybody was kind of interested and excited and was like, okay, how long do you want to make it? How many pages do you want for this? You know, what's the optimum amount? And all this stuff. And like, I don't know, I just figured if there were a lot of people reading this, we should not play it too safe. It's like there's less of that conversation about like, how do we avoid getting cancelled? Hmm. And it's like, there's less of that sort of, you know, what can we do to... I I don't know. I don't feel like I play things too safe in my own eyes anyway. But certainly there was like a freedom, I felt, to do things. And like... I don't know. Even that's misrepresenting. It's... There's a thing when it's like when you don't have to worry about the book going away before you're done, Mm. it takes a... It takes a factor out of the factoring. And I don't know, I honestly don't know how much that affected my decisions to do the things that I've done, for instance, with McGowan, or the, the political stuff. But I know that It became apparent that was a factor that was not a factor. And I think still enough people are reading it and digging it, and it's getting enough good press with every issue that we can come to the end of our time. And I can tell my story and tell my story with the ending that I, I wouldn't say intended from the original pitch because I'd sort of, I was kind of planning on. It being, you know, it doing okay for a Hulk Yeah. And instead, you know, it's done what it's done. Um, so <laughs> my plans got kind of... I was, and, But again, that's the thing. That thing of like, okay, what can I do with this? What's a number to aim for that's not dictated by how long can we go? But is dictated by what is the optimum length of this story? You know, what is the Yeah. You know, what is not gonna be too meandering. Cause now- the the Hulk has a there are many superheroes who have this tradition of like one person being in charge of it and then slowly the bloom comes off their roads and you know you can hear it from one point of view and it's editorial interference and you hear it from another point of view and it's just like you can't have one person in the same place for too long but like i didn't want to i didn't want to end just like leaving the book and that being an exciting thing now
1: is there an end point for motorhawk that's coming up or are we talking
0: years yeah down i'm still not gonna i'm still not gonna say when. No worries. I'm, I'm still not going to say when that is, although I, you know, people have heard a number and my thinking hasn't changed. It might yet, yeah, there might, I might like, I might, you know, a thunderbolt might strike me, you know, in the shower one morning and I might go, oh my God, I must have 10 extra issues. Yeah. And I think I could pitch that and I think we could do it there'd be a lot of talk about like, when you say you must have, do you mean it? Because we're kind of, you know, we've been planning on not doing that. But, you know, that was raised the possibility of like, uh, well, if you want it, you know, it's not too late. But I think we're kind of, I think we're sort of like, a little bit locked in at this point to where we're going. I am now that, you know, it's really hard to talk about this without giving that number away. Yeah. But like, I've mapped things out and I'm still having ideas for like, oh man, what if we did this? And that might still add a little extra on it. But like, I don't want to do a not round number of issues. Which is really like, it's really, you know, so, you know, I do want to do something with the zero on the end or a five or, well, you know, but yeah. you know, it would be true to the, the hulky spirit of chaos to do like, you know, <laughs> a completely random number of issues and just leave it there. You know, Doom Patrol did like 63
1: or, or 123. You never know.
0: Or 123, you know, it's <laughs> like, but it's, yeah, there's that kind of, there's that thing where like, I want it to, We do think in blocks in the superhero game, you know. I know Jonathan ekman has been making great strides against this, but we do think in blocks of twenty, in blocks of you know, however many issues per trade, how many trades per run, and it's like we do get locked into that, and that does guide the thinking a little bit.
1: Now, the Hulk right now is definitely having probably one of the most unprecedented strings of success that I've seen with, especially with the call character in a long time.
0: I've I, I stopped looking at the sales. <laughs> I, well, you, you know, you, I looked when we outsold Batman, and I thought, that's it. I'm never looking again.
1: <laughs> well, just not just the sales, but the uh, awards. I mean, in 2019, you get the Eisner Award for Best Ongoing Series. Oh, we, we got
0: nominations. We didn't get the actual awards. We just got nominated. So. Well, they were damn wrong. They very nice. It's very nice. It's very nice. It's amazing. Uh, Bitterroot is great the thing is like i'd love an award but it's like it's so nice just to be nominated and that so that's really been amazing sorry that's a lot of eyes in the talk
1: no worries. so since was i guess you're the person to talk to because like i said hawk has been at, probably at this top level since maybe even planet hawk which i guess Planet hawk's now is what 10 15 years old maybe but what is the key then to making hawk work for your audience
0: I don't know. We've, we're we working on theories. <laughs> um, <laughs> we've got a few... I've got a couple of theories about how it started. I think a strong start is definitely part of it. And well, I've almost done a kind of control experiment when I did Guardians, because that started with a two-parter. and But I was trying to do that sort of... that introductory issue that kind of set out the stall a little bit. But I ended that on a cliffhanger. And then, you know, what it what Guardians didn't do was the thing that Immortal Hulk did, which is the first issue, the second issue, and the third issue, well, they're all number ones. In that you can pick one up and you don't have to have read the ones before. And it's just like, yeah, this is a Hulk. Here it is. Here's the tone. You know, here's the tone. Here's the setup. Here's the situation. And we don't start putting in... Two and until four and five, which were going to be the end of the first trade. Mm. So issue four is the first real cliffhanger. And then issue, I think issue four just did like really well, but I think that was partly like word of mouth from the first three. So yeah, we kind of built up a strong start. I think the Jaws issue, the Jaws, the Jaws issue was huge. The Jaws issue had everybody talking. People really liked the Avengers fight. I don't know. That kind of, that felt like the, very traditional. But the thing where people were really jumping on it was like after the hell arc, which is this very kind of dense, esoteric, it's very political in places. It's quite, you know, it's got all this stuff. It's got all this 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 reused up because we kind of, we wanted to give Joe a bit of a break so he could do the whole thing. So I came up with this thing of like, the, the black and white panels and the sort of the weird lecture from this voice that we learn is like the Metatron at the end of time. Mm. You know, we're coming back to that. Uh, but like, yeah, basically I was expecting that to like drop readers. Like, you know, originally that was like, that was the end of the first pitch. I was like, okay, we'll do so-and-so and and then, you know, we'll get here and we'll have lost all our readers but we'll have told this great story. And no, no, readers really dug it. And then the one that did really well, I mean, issue 15 was like a big peak. I think that might have been, I don't know if that was like the outselling Batman issue. But like, or if that came later with like, because 19... was a bit insane that, but like fifteen is basically a conversation with Doc Samson, with one of the big political rants from the uh, the big political speeches, I should say, from the, from the whole series, <laughs> right, right. And it's I don't know, I don't know how much of it is like based on. I get a lot of questions about like what would you say the canonical first appearance of this is, or you know, yeah, yeah, you because like we're kind of. We've been doing a lot of, I try and make sure there's a new monster every so often because I know people yep. like that. And, <laughs> um, we've got one coming up. We've got a lot of stuff coming up. I We're really far ahead at the minute. I'm just in the middle of doing dialogue and it's a little, it's running a little late because, which is wrong, wrong reason I'm, I'm going to have to stop us early, but like it's running a little late because I had a massive word processor crash um yesterday which ate a whole day's work so that's microsoft word everybody well Uh, but that's how far we're ahead right now is you know i'm doing dialogue for like issue 41 and what just hit the stands is i think issue 36 yeah i guess that's not that probably doesn't sound that far ahead but it's you know yeah it feels far ahead
1: (laughs) Well, um, just, uh, I'll ask one more question. I know see, we're short on time. We one more question about I'll the Hulk, and we'll move on. It. on it.
0: another half hour,
1: so... Alright, cool. Yeah, I definitely want to get to your new title as well. Okay. But The first question I, with the Hulk I wanted to ask was, one of the best things about your Hulk series, at least in my opinion, someone who does enjoy psychology, everything, and definitely uh, symbolism, things a, a metaphor, is your inner world parts of the Hulk series, where you go deep into the mind of the Hulk with Bruce Banner and everything like that. And the question I had on that is, when you're Writing those parts, are you thinking about the main series first, and then in then inputting the inner world parts as kind of the, the what's happening symbolically of everything that's happening, or are you writing it on um, the symbolic parts and then trying to figure out what would be happening that represents? How, how are you writing that?
0: I kind of write it all together. I tend to treat the the inner world as a like a location. I mean, what, what brought that on was for, like, I think the first half of the series, we had everything... We didn't have them talk. We had everything kind of... We had everything happen in the mirrors. And then, you know, we I tried it out for the Venom tie-in. And that really worked. And I was like, oh, it's... And then I, I was doing every so often I go and... I sort of refreshed my research and so I was looking at like writings by people with uh, dissociative identity disorder, because I was trying to, you know, I've been, I've been trying to take that very seriously as yep. um, a condition that, you know, Bruce Banner as a system has. And I think that's really helped the, there was kind of a progression of like, oh, let's have the savage Child come out for a bit. And then it was like, oh, let's have Joe Fix It come out in Banner's body. And then it was like, well, let's keep them around because, you know, four people being the Hulk is more interesting than two people being the Hulk. Mm. Um, and that was around when I was really like looking into, well, okay, if I'm going to do this, I better get this right. And I was doing a lot of research. But part of, part of the more recent research was basically people with dissociative identity disorder, and it's not everybody, but people do have these inner worlds, which, you know, because it's Bruce Banner and the Hulk, ours is like this, you know, mad landscape, which is kind of like a, it's been a sort of tradition of his mindscape since like, you know, the, the Peter David era. But like, yeah, it was bringing in Bring in that sort of. I felt like that sort of gave me permission to really explore that because with so many hogs together, it's like once I'd had them talk in the Venom tie-in, it was like there's no way we can keep doing this without having them in conversation. Mm. And I think, especially with what we're doing, which. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna spoil what's upcoming, but it kind of requires. It's going to require more scenes in the mindscape. So like, Zemnu was almost like a dry run of that. Of like, okay, what does what does Bruce Banner's mindscape look like? You know, what's the what do we? And, and you know, we've had a number of different artists had a go have a go at it. Now, I think we've yet to see in print. We've yet to see Joe's version, but that's coming. So, yeah, but it's—I uh, mean—to answer your question, it's basically. I do kind of think of it almost as a location, and I kind of allow. I think at this point, I sort of allow a fairly free hand in terms of the in terms of the symbolism for it for the artists and Joe. Joe, especially, we've both been working on this for so long that I can—you know—I can sort of. have a like a rough idea of you know what the mindscape is like and he will add details to it that are just you know perfect details and i don't have to kind of that can sort of inform me a little bit
1: and well i'll say i'm definitely loving what what you've done with the Hulk. i've never been a regular fan of buying the Hall comics until your run, which I think has been extraordinary. And I am going to, I know we are short on time, so I am going to move on to your new uh, series in just a minute. But I did want to ask one Garden of the Galaxy question, because it's my favorite character. Is there any chance Beta Ray Bill will show up back in Garden of the
0: Galaxy on the team? Well, maybe. It depends on factors, but it's like Beta Ray Bill, I think right now, is doing some business in the Thor run. We're kind of... I think we're sort of, I think with Guardians, there's both this thing of like, no space character is really off limits to us. But there's also this thing of like, who we want to concentrate on. And I kind of, with B-Ray Bill, my personal feeling, and so this isn't editorially mandated, this is me. My personal feeling is, I like him better as a Thor character than as a Guardians character. And that is incredibly hypocritical of me <laughs> considering Hercules is now on the team.
1: Yes, it's okay. But yeah. I'm
0: a, you know, I have my whims. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but but that, that's a fair whim. Like I said, I'm just a, a big fan of Beta Ray Bill. I always find that he's yeah. an underused character. Um, I mean, so I would, I'm not sh- I'd
0: agree with that. You
1: know. I'm not sure he's good at, I'm not sure how you'd be as a main character of his own series, but I always feel he's a great character to um, guests in any given storyline.
0: Mm. Sorry, I just ate something, so... <laughs> no worries, no worries. You call me chewing.
1: <laughs> it's okay. Well, anyways, we'll move on. Anyways, so tell me about we only find them when they're dead. Uh, how did that come about, and why boom?
0: Well, yeah, basically, I had the idea a while back, the basic idea of these vast dead Space gods kind of, you know, drifting out from the gulfs between the galaxies and this tiny little fleet of all of ships that would basically like take them apart for, you know, meat and rare metals. And I guess if I had to point to one particular influence or antecedent for that, it'd be, there's a, a JG Ballard story, I think it's called The Giant, and it's about this vast giant who washes up on the shore of a community and then the story is just basically him rotting down and you know the locals like at first reverence and in awe and then you know by the end I mean you know that's like children play on the big decomposing corpse and like you know the seagulls go at it and by the end It's not even a curiosity, it's just ignored this big kind of skeleton on the beach. I I can't remember if it's disposed of or if they just leave it. I think there's a time frame of like a week. But yeah, and I guess while I was doing in the aftermath of doing like Ultimates and kind of having had a crack at these big cosmic characters I was sort of you know, I was thinking a lot about that, and a, a lot of, about a lot of the things that have sort of come up in Hulk. There's there's stuff about theology in there. There's stuff about, you know, the search for meaning. It, it sort of keeps coming up. But that was kind of the thinking I was having. I was having some trouble, basically, finding an artist for it. And what happened with Boom was they were able to they were able to sort of put me together with some Simone who I had worked with before and was like exactly the person for this and i knew he was good to work with because i'd done you know i'd done that hulk thing with him and and also there was like it was a way to kind of to have an editorial team in place to have like certain structures in place I know it's not like it's not the same thing as an image series, but like for this thing, I think it's what we needed. And I think there are a few people who are sort of going to Boom for that. Because, you know, you've got things like you know, there's things like Once a Future, you know, John Day's went out through Boom. There's like I know uh Ron North when he was getting started, he did there was a great Boom series that he did. Uh, it's Yeah, so... Yeah, I don't... I mean, I'm kind of... I think the reason, you know, why boom is a question I've been been asked before. And the reason, I guess, would be because, like... They were the people who were going to do it. And it's a way to sort of... And it's a way to get it done. It's a way to get it done and get it out there. And, like... (laughs) It's. They've been really good. Like they've been really good at like being in place to help it. I don't. You know. I don't think like I don't think there's sort of you know one way of doing. I don't think there's like just the one way of doing like a sort of career around series. It's. I. I don't know. It's, it's like it seems. It seems kind of. It's a slightly strange question in that, you know, i have never sort of asked, why Marvel? Mm. Although that's probably, you know, that's probably more relevant to like who I am and how I write. You know, why Marvel? Why this set of characters? Why not this set of characters? But I guess that's, you know, that's as good an answer as I have. It's because if it wasn't coming out through Boom, it probably wouldn't be coming out is you know, which is a uh, probably some terrible admission of failure. you know, we're meant to like birth these things from the the burning cauldrons of our brains and like just give them life. And you know it's not always it's it's not always that easy. and you know boom showed an interest in it and uh, and now it is here. And I, th- you know, it's gonna be good. And you know, I just saw an advance review today that's like people are definitely getting from it what I wanted to lay down and people are appreciating you know the tone of it so yeah yeah i'm glad it exists
1: so so, the, I, so I
0: don't know if it would
1: so the series blends science fiction with a kind of metaphysics and also some theology from my understanding of reading the the stories so how how highbrow would you say the series is like if you had to consider the audience are you talking like a Teen audience? Is this going highbrow, older, a uh, little more like I mean, Vertigo?
0: Teens could read it. It it does get a little. It does get a little uh, spicy as we go, but all all in the best possible taste. It's in terms of how highbrow it is. The the seventies new wave SF. The yeah seventies new wave science fiction. That's the kind of, that's probably the area I would feel, you know, very sort of honored to have it placed in. Mm. That kind of, and you know, it's not a, a time that has gone. There's a lot of new science fiction coming out now that's very much in that wheelhouse in that in that area. But basically, yeah, that would be the kind of thing. The kind of, so quite highbrow, more, you know, it's not like it's not a popcorn thing it's not a blockbuster it is something you're meant to sort of sit with and digest and read slowly and like enjoy the art and you know enjoy like think about it uh, you know there might be people there might be people who like who read issue one and are like oh this isn't what I thought it would be and there might be people who wish to read issue one and think oh this is exactly what I thought it would be depending on which bits of my Hulk they like. Um, <laughs> so it's, as, it's definitely as highbrow as Immortal Hulk is.
1: <laughs> well, like I said, I'm finding the concept of this series fascinating. One of the things I thought was really interesting is, so th- is in the story, you have the existence of considered gods. Most of them are dead, but I know your main character, Captain, is looking, uh, looking for an alive one. Mm. And I was thinking to myself, the existence of the idea or the discovery of these gods must have a massive impact on this society in which the story takes place and I was wondering one do you how deep do you go into the impact of th- that discovery and two would the old fates do the old faiths, then still exist in a world where there's actually actual gods that someone can say hey they're right there
0: We well w- certainly where our first arc is set is like I think we're I think we're setting I think it's probably we'll be staying here is like right out at the edge of the galaxy in a mining community that became like an autopsy community. And so, for the first, certainly the first couple of issues, we get a good look at this thing. And it's very like, there's not much time for the big questions. There's not much time for kind of investigate. It's almost left to the reader to sort of formulate this stuff at first, apart from Captain Malik, who is like, you know, Thinking bigger. But as we go, book two and book three of this are very much planned to get into stuff like that. So, you know, we will be going there. Maybe not in the exact way you suspect, but definitely we'll be kind of exploring, you know, the gods as gods and what calling them gods means and the kind of you know all of these questions of that nature
1: so your main character is captain malik and he's and he's searching for a living version of this guy cuz before him all the gods i met from my what i've read have been found that are dead so is malik an, an altruistic person is he is is our prophet in finding a living god is he trying to solve a big question for himself what like what's his deal
0: i mean i think it's more the third one he's attempting to He's not that altruistic. he's attempting to find this for himself, but his reasoning we get into his reasons, we get into the why of it as we go, you know, we get into what he's looking for, all of these things. And uh, yeah eventually yeah, eventually we'll get like right inside his head and we'll have his, you know we'll see if we'll see if it's the right reasons if you know if what he's, if what he's doing is, is right or if it's wrong. I don't think it should be, uh, it's not immediately obvious. He's quite a selfish man in many ways. But yeah, at the heart of it is like attempting to answer these questions, attempting to find this kind of meaning, this meaning behind existence. And that's sort of something I kind of try to get into a lot in my other work. It's like the thing I get a lot of, on social media, like a lot more than other people, and I suspect—I don't even know—it's at the point where I suspect it might be trolling. But I get a lot of questions asking me to put these big cosmic characters into exact hierarchies, like who can beat who, who can arm wrestle who, <laughs> who is more powerful than who. Yeah, you know, Oblivion. Oh, I hate him. He's like <laughs> this this guy with a tablecloth for a face who everyone asks me if, like, oh. Can so-and-so beat him? Can so-and-so... You know, and it's like... It's fair enough. These are fascinating questions in... For a certain... Definition... Of fascinating. I'm interested in whether Captain America could beat Batman. I'm... You know, I remember the old Marvel superheroes role-playing game. I wanted to know who was up in, like, the Shift-Z table in, the, like, the Class of Thousand. Yeah, I wanted to know who was up there and who was even bigger. You know what? Like that was part of the fascination of these big cosmic characters. So, like, I get it. I get the whole, and I even get the battle boards thing, where like you know, oh, who would win in this? And it's like using textual evidence, but also using whatever answers you've been able to badger out of some writer on social media. Yeah, you know Apparently, that's evidence as well. God knows why. <laughs> it's not a comic, but like, and you know, this week. i'm belly aching a little here i'm I'm poking a little fun but i do get it and i do understand but at the same time it's not the game i'm playing it's not like it's not what i want to do i'm trying to talk about these i'm using these cosmic characters as like as kind of metaphors for larger questions and sort of i'm really going at it in that 70s way you know nobody when jim stalin invented thanos I don't think he was inventing a character who could, like, beat Iron Man, who could arm wrestle Iron Man. I I think he wanted to... He was looking at something bigger than that. When, you know, when, like, Steve Ditko and Stan Lee, you know, created Eternity, they were, like... You know, they weren't thinking in terms of, like, oh, this is the guy who's going to punch Galactus. It's yeah. You know, when, when Stanley and Jack Kirby created Galactus, they were literally attempt, you know, they were trying to find a metaphor for God. And it's like, there's this whole thing of like, this, these are the tools as superhero comic writers. It's like, you've kind of got a choice of like either your avia, just putting these toys up against one another. Or like you're using these tools, this, the genre and sort of accepting, you know, the, the accepting the pretentious of the pretentiousness of that, of like biting the bullet of like on, on the kind of the ridiculousness of using like these, you know, these movie superheroes to like to ask these questions and mm-hmm. then going and asking them anyway, because otherwise, what are we doing? You know, what's the point?
1: which would be um, talking about when you mentioned earlier the idea that was especially discussed in the 70s the idea of these characters as being modern mythology that is a yeah, yeah. mythology is used for is to get used characters from a storyline to help people approach and ask and maybe and play out these questions in their minds in a
0: way that they couldn't approach in any other way and I think you have to enter this kind of almost the state of double think where you're both aware of the failings of the genre and like the the fallibility of the superheroes as that like yeah these are sort of these are these characters owned by you know they're owned by corporations they're owned by like these big mega corporations at this point they're you know there's only so much weight you can put on them Mm. but at the same time if you know if you use them as a lens you can get into some interesting territory you can get into some interesting space And it's like, I feel like you can get. You have to have a certain level of cynicism, otherwise, you end up losing track of yourself, or like losing track of, you know, your tether to solid ground. Mm. But at the same time, yeah, no, these characters, they're a really useful lens to ask some interesting questions and some big and strange questions and sort of. And to delve into, like, it's not even mythology, it's poetry. To delve into the sort of poetry of the... Which is why I'm no good at answering these sort of <laughs> who would be who questions. Because it's like asking, you know, would the plums in the William Collins-Williams poem be, you know, the shells that Molly and Maggie and May found on the sea in the e. E. Cummings poem? It's like, that's the level it's at. It's like, the, you know, that's not the question worth asking.
1: Right, and, and it would be pretty un- unquantifiable. I mean, at some point, you have so yeah. much power yeah. that it's unquantifiable who could win.
0: I mean, this <laughs> is what I go back to. That and, that and Death of the Author are, the two, are my two answers on that. It's like, at a certain point, that question is unanswerable. And also, you know, take your evidence from the text. Take your evidence from this tapestry of, like, dozens and dozens of writers. You know, do whatever you have to, like, find your answers there. You can't get any decent textual evidence from a tweet. You know?
1: So is there a benefit when you're designing to your own series, is, is it to allow you to ask the questions or approach the questions that maybe working within a corporate um, structure doesn't allow for you? There's a
0: little more freedom in terms of I think it's a little more there's a phrase that I've learned that we only have in Britain, which is swings and roundabouts. And it's, you know, what you what you get on the swings you lose on the roundabouts. There's there's give and there's take. I think there is more freedom to do some things. Most things in fact. What you're but I, I feel like I have quite a lot of freedom with the corporate coaches. I think what you're giving up, you're gaining a lot in terms of I can take this me and, me and Simone, we can take the story wherever we want it. We don't really have to worry too much about sales, I'd hope. Actually, that's not true. That's not true at all. Look at Phonogram. That took years to complete. But, like, you know, we get a lot out of it. We get a lot of, like, control. We get a lot of... I think we also give things up in that we give up some of the symbolic power because characters do kind of accrue that. For instance, if I was selling this story to Marvel, you know, I could do a story set in the future where, you know, people autopsy Galactus. Uh, And even saying that, it's like, that wouldn't work. That'd turn into a different kind of story instantly, very fast. So that tells you what you get in that the second you bring a real character what a thing to say. The second you bring in <laughs> a character with a lot of history, you you both get the power of that character that is accrued in all that history, but also that power can kind of overwhelm you in that the character will begin to dictate the root of the story. So with Hulk, you know, I can tell exactly the kind of Hulk story I want to tell. It's still a Hulk story. I couldn't do this with Spider-Man. It could not be done. Immortal Hulk is a Hulk story. It's a type of Hulk story I don't believe has been told yet, although it does owe a great deal to the past, which I think is one of the reasons it's popular. But it's a Hulk story. If I were to do my Space God autopsy story with Galactus, it would be a Galactus story. It would Mm. pour itself down certain pathways. It would configure itself in certain shapes. With... We only find them when they're dead. I don't have that gravity working on me. I can really So yeah, when I when I'm talking about limits, I really feel like the limits from like editorial that feels more like a matter of teamwork. What I do feel the limitations of is the gravity of the characters and the fictional universes and the kind of the pull. And to create my own space is to act entirely without that pull. You know. And there's a lot of freedom there. Like a lot.
1: So with your with your new series, um, When We only Find a When They're Dead, how are is, is it gonna be ongoing? Is it set up in separate miniseries or like dark arc right, is the series? Right
0: now we have the potential to do more. Right now we're thinking in terms of three arcs, three books three trades, telling three acts of a story. And as we go, it'll become obvious the kind of story we're telling. It does have the story structure we're using also has antecedents in science fiction. I feel like it's a spoiler right now to mention what they are. And I don't really want to spoil it yet, but like once we told our entire story, we'll then be in a position where either I know we'll be in a position where we can do more if we want, we can do more with just one of us. Like for instance, if I wanted to take a step back and sort of let, let another writer play in the sandboxes plural that we establish With me as a more kind of supervisory figure. Because i he wants to draw all of it. (laughs) So it's less possible to imagine the other way around. But I'm kind of... I sort of have my story to tell, and then after that I'm going to walk away and, like, see how I feel. But I'm not averse to... You know, with the idea of, like, helping other writers out if like if we did decide to do that and we might not but it's like I have right now I'm just thinking about the one story but there's potential for more you know even if it's really hard to like say how there's potential for more without spoiling stuff but you know we'll we'll get to the end of that third book and then we'll have a think and have a look around and decide what to do next but right now I'm happy with just the three acts.
1: Well, like I said, Uh, it's the story sounds phenomenal. Um, the first issue comes out in September, I believe.
0: Yeah. I've got the exact, I've got the exact date down here somewhere. In fact, hang on. Oh, no, the internet's reset itself. (laughs) That was nice of it. I don't have the exact date with me. Yeah, no. Well, oh, it's,
1: and when you find it, we'll, um, insert it into our, um, intro.
0: Yeah, no, I'll I'll pull it out. It's like, oh, God, my dancing through the. um, Oh, here we go. Yeah, I'm hoping this advanced review. Well, I should know. I should know the date. (laughs) I should know. I should have all this back to front. I'm terrible at this. Here we go. September the second. I thought it was September
1: second. I thought it
0: was that. I didn't want to send in case it wasn't. I didn't want to send people to the shops a week early. But yeah, it's coming up fast now. It's uh, it's next week, I believe.
1: Well, it, it sounds fantastic, sir. And I thank you so much for spending your time talking with me. It would, you're a fascinating you. person to talk to.
0: Uh, thanks very much. Yes. Uh, thank, thank you for having me.
1: No, no problem. And so get back to work and write more, and more to hawk for us.
0: Yes. <laughs> I will do that right now.
1: Have a fantastic day, sir. Thank you. Thank you.
3: And we're back. We are back. What was that? That was my door closing because my five year old came in while we we're recording and tried to ask me for Robux. <laughs> I told him. Hold on, my. And he's not five. He's almost seven. Oh my God. I can up five. <laughs> I
2: know. I know. Mine turned seven. Oh my God. He'll be seven. Just a days. few days.
3: Yeah. Yours is almost seven, right?
2: Yep. A few days. Yeah. Like six well, happy days. Happy early four, birthday. Days. four days away. <laughs> it's kind of crazy.
3: Oh, man. So what did you think of uh, Al Ewing and Jeff's conversation about all things uh, Al? I think it's cool. I think it was a lot of fun. Yeah.
2: You know? It makes me want to go read some some Marvels. And, and honestly, I haven't read Marvel in quite a few... I mean... Okay, I, that's, that's a lie. I still read uh, <laughs> Savage Avengers, but I think it's over now. Yeah. It might still be going. I think it might be over. But that was the last one I read uh, just back in yeah. July. Uh, so I still read that one. And, and there's a couple other things that I read, but... Most of that stuff is, you know I found? Is independent. So that made me want to go back and read yeah. some more, especially some of the X Men stuff because they've really done a whole relaunch of X Men in the last few years.
3: Oh, they're doing so good with it. I mean, ever since Marvel got or, or, and you know Marvel and Disney got the rights to X Men, they've done yeah. so much more with the, with the characters. Yeah, yeah. They, I, I felt like it's they were kind
2: of killing it when they were Fox was owned the, the movie franchise and the I mean, because people who don't know, because I mean, there are people who are in their twenties that literally just never watched x-men because yeah they were they weren't born yet
3: (laughs) right (laughs) which
0: is
2: so weird but when that movie came out it was a massive success
3: it was was the biggest thing in the world yeah
2: so huge it was huge and it's just kind of weird that thinking back now how giant the x-men comic books were in the 80s and 90s i mean you can't even it's hard to impress on somebody who didn't live through it How important And how massive Those books were
3: Well even in the Early 2000s With Morrison and Crowley's run On new X-Men They were still Massive it wasn't Really until um, Disney bought Marvel And they wanted To get all their Rights back That Marvel Stopped pushing So much X-Men Comics Well that's what I'm saying Stuff Yeah Once
2: Disney Purchased Marvel And Fox still Had the 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 rights It just felt Like things were Ticking down On the X-Men You know like they were sunsetting. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> right? It was just it was just weird.
3: It is weird. But I mean, I, given horrible monopoly things aside from Disney owning the world, I'm glad to see them doing more with the X-Men. And what I was gonna say is like I don't read a lot of mainstream stuff either. Yeah. But I have found that with these interviews we're doing, I find myself reading something that th- that person has done usually. Yeah. And usually ends up being I'll go, I'll pick up a Marvel book or I think book people can read. It. I'm like, oh this is pretty good. So I'm reading more about stuff because I, I find when I talk to people, when we talk to people and I hear the interviews, I get I get excited about what, about what they're working on.
2: Yeah, me too. Me too. Alright, well, if you guys enjoyed that, and I, you know, I'm pretty sure you probably did, because we you made it this far, me it means you liked what you heard and you kept on going. So yeah. go check out spoilerverse.com. Go see our back issues. There's a lot there for you to peruse and a lot of fun so doing much. it. And nothing is behind a paywall.
3: No, no paywall, all free for you to listen to. But, you know, it's not free for us to make. So if you do want to help us out, you can go to our website. And while you're there and looking at all of our back issues or episodes, other episodes or other shows and all of our articles and even comments, there's a store link that you can click on and go pick up a T-shirt or a hoodie or a, a face mask or a tapestry or something. Look fly as hell while you do that. And that's how you can help us out. Because while it's free for you, it's not free for us. That's how you can share the love with us. That's
2: right. That's right. All right. Well, there's only really one thing left to do, dude. What's that? In Oceans of Podcasts,
3: we are Cthulhu. As Catholic
2: compels you to do, open the mind and read more. All right, guys, We're out.